This is Susie, and you're listening to Most Wanted. Hi, Sissy. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Most Wanted. I'm Lauren. And I'm Amanda. How you doing this week, sis? Uh, much better than last week, where I was totally sidelined with headaches galore. Yep. So back I, this week, feeling much better. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, I can't complain. Well, I could, but why? <laughs> I mean, I, I could complain more too, but why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. Are you watching anything good? Well, yes and no. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> so as I've told you... um, I mostly have not been able to watch things that I have to pay super close attention to, mm-hmm. because when I have TV on, I'm also doing research for my master's thesis. Mm-hmm. So I'm very half paying attention. So I have been intentionally not watching things that I haven't seen. Ah, uh, yes. So I've been rewatching the, as the podcast I've been listening to is calling it, the cult classic, Pretty Little Liars. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, sure. It's a little bit of a stretch. I don't know if it's considered a classic yet when it just started in like 2010. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't consider it a classic. I wouldn't even consider it good, but. Right, well, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, some episodes are like, I have to intentionally like, no, you have to keep doing your work. You can't just be watching this. It's the whole purpose of watching something you've seen. Right. But other episodes of like, I don't even know what's happening. This is stupid. So <laughs> it's you know, that's been very. Fair. Yeah, and it's it it harkens back to like seasons of shows used to be twenty some episodes long. I so know some episodes literally don't really advance the plot, right? And some of them are like all plot, and it's changed a lot when shows have gone to like streaming, where it's like thirteen jam packed episodes. Right, right, yeah, and they're like so. ac- they're actually like fifty eight minutes. Yes, yeah, and not like. T- you know, 42. 40. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been rewatching Pretty Little Liars. Um, my husband and I, when we have been eating dinner, we'll watch like a little short episode of something just to like after work, we kind of decompress, we eat, then we mm-hmm. go on with whatever we have to do in the evening. Mm-hmm. And we have been watching an ep- about an episode a night of Abbott Elementary. Oh, I haven't seen it's it. Is it good? so good. It's okay. so good. So we're almost done with the second season and the third season premieres as this is airing, it would have premiered like two weeks ago. So okay. uh, the the new episodes are starting. Oh, okay. so yeah, I'll it's it's good. That. And Quinta Brunson, were you ever into like the BuzzFeed short videos no. in like the early 2010s? Okay, well, she was at BuzzFeed, and that's where I got to know her. She was hilarious in these videos. Well, she's the executive producer and star of Abbott Elementary, and she's won a couple like Emmys for it. Like she's yeah. so good. So. I highly is, recommend. Is Emmys TV? And- Emmys is both TV and movies. Then what are the Oscars? Just movies. Huh. And I think Golden Globes are also both TV and movies. Oh, I forgot about the Golden Globes. I Maybe, maybe Emmys are just TV and I'm thinking Golden Globes are both. You might be right. Emmys, I think, are just TV. Golden Globes are both TV and movies and Oscars just movies. I... I didn't realize that it was a thing that people got EGOTs. Like, oh, I, yes. I, I'm just learning this. Yes. And so that's when I was like, that's not cool, computer. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's when I was like, so you got to do 
you, you really got to do it all. Well, and EGOTs are especially hard because you have to be on stage, too, because the T is Tony. And that's like Broadway. It took me a very long time. I was like, I don't know what a Tony is. Yeah, Tony's Broadway. So like the the e, there's there's been a number of EGOT winners. Oh yeah, the one that I love the most is Viola Davis. Obviously, she is wonderful. She's wonderful. Okay, so sissy, who are we going to be talking about today, or what are we going to be talking about today? So we are back for our third episode in our Black History Month series. Yes, uh, and we're doing things a little differently this week. So let's chat a little bit about the title of the episode for okay. a minute, because at this point, people would have seen the title of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, talk a little bit about how we've been covering cases for the first year versus how I think you and I have decided to shift a few things sometimes going yeah. forward, not all yep. the time. Right. Um, but the concept of this podcast has always been to cover people who have been wanted, to put it simply, generally fugitives. Yes. Um, often with wanted posters and whatnot. That's what we started it on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's another category of people who are wanted that Lauren and I are going to start introducing in some upcoming episodes and sporadically throughout the podcast as we keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are people whose lives were cut too short, whose deaths were the end of stories that will never be completed, but like mm-hmm. they seem unfinished because they were wanted too, just wanted in a very different way. Yeah. So when we cover these cases, you'll know by the titles of the episodes, because it's not just going to be a name. It'll be something more like the murder of or, you know, the kidnapping, the disappearance, something yeah. like that. It'll be couched more like that. Yes. Um, so this is our first case like this during our third week of February. And this week we're covering the murder of Medgar Evers. Do you know anything about this case, Lauren? Um, I do not. Uh, the only thing I know is I gave him a quick Google mm-hmm. just to see if I was going to be able to find enough photos. Yep. Because um, I do all the posting for our social media. And um, I did not like the dick bag, <laughs> um, his murderer. I did not like what I saw when I Googled him. I don't blame you. He's a big old racist. Yes. And that is what I know. Yes. That's putting it very simply (laughs) yeah um yes so that is this is a civil rights movement era Mm -hmm. murder case and yes racism plays a huge part in this case um so i'm going to talk about sources i found a lot of sources for this one Mm -hmm. um so this week i'm i looked at articles from Medgar Evers College, FBI History, The Zinn Education Project, Mississippi History Now, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or the uh, SNCC or SNCC is what they are called, uh, the NAACP, History.com, AP News, The Washington Post, the Stanford Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute, The New York Times, Time, and Truthdig. I also listened to several podcast episodes about Medgar's life and murder, including from Black History for White People, which is an excellent podcast title. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Crime Binge and Deadly Faith. I also pulled some historical information from a documentary uh, that I mentioned a couple weeks ago called Stamped from the Beginning. And I read about our episode's villain on Wikipedia because I didn't want to give him more space than necessary. So almost everything I know about our 
bad guy, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, is just from Wikipedia because I don't care about him. Um, That's fair. <laughs> content warnings for this episode include racism, white supremacy, murder, police violence, and mentions of lynchings. Okay. Yeah, going to be a, a heavy one. That's my overall warning going into this case. Um, we suggest if you're listening to this to do what we are doing. We are having snacks. We are we having snacks. To, um, it's one of those cases where it's so much to process. Yeah. And it's really, really horrible. But I also think it's really important. Very important. Especially that. as you hear this case as it goes. Like, it takes... It took so long for there to be justice in a lot of these civil rights era mm-hmm. violence cases because yeah. of the nature of the South at the time. And it's it, that's part of what makes it suck so much. Yeah. All right, Sissy, are you ready to get going into this episode? I am. I'm not, but yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's probably going to be one of those. I do apologize in advance for... All of this, honestly. Well, but again, important. Very Just important. And rough. we chose this. We did. We did choose so, this. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there's really no way to go into the story without a walk through the history of racism in the American South. Um, it's the only way to make a lot of this story make sense. So I will say that I was not, I kind of skim over a lot of stuff, but I, I was not super versed on any of this until I did my own reading as an adult. Like mm-hmm. I felt like I didn't really take any history classes in college. I was, we had like one civil war unit in middle school history. Oh like eighth yeah. Grade history. But eighth grade was the year the teachers went on strike for me. So we I was like in a stupid private school. Yeah. Lucky so duck. like we like didn't get to it. And then high school history started like, after the Civil War. <laughs> so, well, and we both, didn't you have deputy dipshit too for yes, U.S. I history? Did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. So just, I felt like my knowledge of history was not great. And I've done a lot of this reading as an adult to get a better grasp on how terrible our country has been to not really be able to put it any other way. So um, it's Relatively complicated, of course, but I'm going to do my best to simplify all of this just as a quick rundown. Um, There's no other way to put it. The United States was founded on racism. Yes. Uh, There's just no other way to say it. And this is a historical fact a lot of people have been fighting against, particularly recently. They've been banning books. They've been banning DEI effort. They've been banning critical race theory, even though they probably don't really know what that means. (laughs) Right. Like they've been banning all these things because they don't want to look bad in quotes. Yeah. But like, it's just history. It's Mm -hmm. how this country has been. So let's take a little walk through the relevant foundational history here. And then we'll talk a bit about the civil rights movement before we get into our specific story. Okay. The United States was colonized by settlers from England originally, and eventually other countries, on the foundation of freedom of religion, which was written into our Constitution. What is often left out of these stories is that the religious groups being expelled and persecuted in England in the 1600s were the uber-conservative Puritans and other similar groups on the margins of Christianity. They were basically too conservative for the laws of England, so they escaped to the new world to practice their strict religions in relative peace. 
But what that meant is it started an ugly history of of the U.S. being run as a conservative Christian nation, despite the fact that freedom of religious expression is literally written into the Constitution, but like only for some people. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And with this feeling of religious superiority came a feeling of racial superiority, although the concept of a white race came about much later. Like they were each like the Irish and the British and the Italians and, you know, like they Mm -hmm. got to be their each individual thing. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case for like the Native Americans, for instance. Yes. They were all called one thing. Yeah. And it wasn't nice. Correct. So in 1619, the first ship containing slaves from Africa as cargo arrived in Virginia and slavery, as it is known in, in America, began. Originally, it wasn't just Africans who were enslaved. Lesser, in quotes, Europeans, read Eastern Europeans, Mm. were also either slaves or indentured servants. What I learned in that um, Stamp from the Beginning documentary Mm -hmm. was that the word slave comes from Slavs. Oh. Which I didn't know. I didn't know that either. So that's where that word comes from. So like the word was invented not about Africans, but about Eastern Europeans, which is also horrible. Yes. Um, But having Eastern Europeans as slaves along with Africans didn't go very well for the British colonizers because the European slaves helped with a large rebellion Mm. and then got, you know, all the other slaves on board with that as well. Yeah. So they started allowing the European slaves to purchase land and property, and then many of them purchased African slaves, and the cycle continued. Oh, my gosh. So as time went on, the Europeans began to refer to themselves as collective white, and they lumped all of the different African tribes together and called them black. And then there were like these two races, like white Mm -hmm. and non-white, basically. Yeah. I'm obviously oversimplifying, but you see what I'm saying in general. Yes. Um, This all culminated in the American Civil War, which was about slavery. Mm -hmm. Like, don't let anyone, Nikki Haley, tell you otherwise. (laughs) The face Lauren just made. She, in her campaign trail, said, like, they asked her what the Civil War was about, and she refused to say the word slavery. What the Civil War was about was the economy of the southern states depending on owning other humans as property, so they didn't have to pay their laborers and were able to then reap all of the benefits for themselves. So the southern states that ended up seceding from the U.S. and forming the Confederate States of America claimed and some will claim to this day, that they did it under the guise of states' rights. Mm. But what these states wanted the right to do was own people as property. Right. So they wanted to then continue to expand their slave-owning ways west, which is essentially, again, very simplified, what started the Civil War, because the northern states did not want the western uh, territories to have slavery. The southern states did. Mm -hmm. Big disagreement. Yep. Uh, Anyway, the Civil War ended, the Confederacy was defeated, and Reconstruction began. During Reconstruction, Black people were able to buy land, own businesses, run for office, and win. And some of them did in the early years after the Civil War. But that slowly started disappearing as the white people who essentially used to own them decided, nah, we hate this. We're better than them. Oh, God. And then they formed groups like the Ku Klux Klan and started terrorizing Black people in the South. I'm obviously, again, condensing, simplifying about 90 years of history into this one sentence, but this eventually led to Jim Crow laws, to segregation, and then to the civil rights movement in response to those things. 
So the civil rights movement was a social movement based on the concepts of civil disobedience, or as John Lewis called it, good trouble, and nonviolent resistance. While this movement had its roots in the 1940s in groups like the Southern Negro Youth Conference, which is what Angela Davis's mother was active in when Mm -hmm. she was a kid, uh, things started ramping up with the Supreme Court decision in Brown versus Board of Education, which ended segregated public schools operating under the guise of separate but equal, which was a whole farce. It was never equal. Right. Um, So that was in 1954. But let's put this into some context. We've both seen Remember the Titans a whole bunch of times, right? Yes. Yep. So Remember the Titans tells the story of the newly integrated T.C. Williams High School football team winning the state championship under a black coach for the first time. Do you know what year that movie took place in? Ooh. I'm just wondering if you remember because they're not super clear on it, but just like fashion wise. (laughs) 70s? Yeah, it was 1971. Okay. So that school was integrating for the first time 17 years after Brown versus Board of Education was decided. (sighs) Which is just like context for how resistant the South was to actually do this. And that's in Virginia. That's not like deep, deep South either. Right. So this is just one tiny example, again, of how resistant the South was to integration and the basis for a lot of the struggle during the civil rights movement in general. So this movement wasn't easy on anyone involved. Again, look at Remember the Titans, a very sanitized Disney movie. But there is a scene in that movie where a brick is thrown through the front window in Denzel Washington's house. Yes. Yep. And it's scary to watch as a kid. Like, it's scary to watch the kids respond to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was super minor compared to the violence that a lot of Black people face in the South on a regular basis during this time period. Right. Uh, remember in the Angela Davis episode, we talked about Dynamite Hill. Yeah. Yeah. And how the houses were being bombed. Yes. Um, yeah. So some of the major events in the movement were the murder of Emmett Till in 1955, mm-hmm. which I am hoping to cover, but it's super rough. So that might be a year or two down the line. Yeah. Um, the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955 and 1956, which started with the arrest of Rosa Parks for not giving yep. up her seat on the bus to a white person. Yep. And then the Little Rock Nine in 1957, which were nine black students who volunteered to integrate a public high school in Little Rock, Arkansas, mm-hmm. which was horrific for them, but mm-hmm. good for them for starting the movement, you know? Yeah. And then there were a series of nonviolent protests and sit-ins through 1960 or so, including a famous student sit-in at Woolworth in Greensboro, North Carolina. Then we had the Freedom Rides in 1961, which were designed to test the new Supreme Court decision in Boynton versus Virginia that stated that segregation was unconstitutional for those engaged in interstate commerce. So what that means is people rode buses from out of state into southern states, like black people and people resisting. Mm-hmm. The segregation to see, like to to test that they were protected coming in from out of state. Yeah, they weren't. Like yeah. that was a whole thing. Um, the South was not going quietly in all of this. They were pissed. Um, so now the stage has been set for the stories that I'm planning to tell over the next two weeks, where we'll be hanging out in Mississippi during the Civil Rights Movement. This week, I'm covering the murder of Medgar Evers, and then next week, I'm covering the story of Mississippi burning. Oh, okay. So, without further ado, let's talk about Medgar Evers. Okay. 
Medgar Wiley Evers was born on July 2nd, 1925 in Decatur, Mississippi. Medgar was the third of five children, which included his older brother, Charles, who would become a prominent civil rights activist in his own right. Ooh, okay. The Evers children attended a segregated school that required them to literally walk six miles each way each day. Holy shit. I can't even imagine. No, that's 12 miles a day. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Medgar and his siblings eventually did get their high school diplomas. Medgar actually didn't finish. Then he enrolled, enrolled, enlisted. <laughs> he enlisted in the army. You don't enroll in the army. I don't know what's going on in my brain. That's okay. Uh, so he enlisted in the army during World War II and was part of the invasion of Normandy in 1944. Oh, wow. Okay. At the end of the war, Medgar was honorably discharged as a sergeant in the U.S. Army, and he returned to Mississippi, where he was disappointed to be turned away from certain restaurants and places of business because of the color of his skin after he had just helped defeat the Nazis. <sighs> Holy shit. Oh, my like, God. Like, just so shitty. So, in 1948, Medgar enrolled in Alcorn Agricultural and Mechanical College, which is now called Alcorn State University, a historically black college. Um, and he majored in business administration after he was able to finish his high school diploma first and then enroll in college classes. All wow. Um, so he was a very busy college student, to say the least. He also participated in the debate team. He played football. He ran track. He sang in the choir. And he was the junior class president. Holy. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so he was he was that guy. He was a little bit of everything, but everyone loved him. Like He was that guy. I barely went to class. <laughs> I know. Wow. Like, I, I think I was in one club the entire time I was in college, and it was chem club. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> you were so cool. I wasn't. I really wasn't. That's okay. I, I really didn't do anything in college. I mean, I did graduate, but that yeah, was basically it. <laughs> all that matters. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Fair enough. Um, he also met his wife on her very first day at Elkhorn and oh. got married while he was in college as well. Oh. So on December 24th, 1951, Medgar married his classmate, Merle Beasley. Oh. Medgar earned his degree from Elkhorn in 1952. Merle and Medgar eventually had three children together, Daryl Kenyatta, Rena Denise, and James Van Dyke. This is going to break my little heart, isn't it? It might. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because he, like, the the Evers family is just cute and great. I was really excited, and I forgot what we were doing for a hot second. <laughs> I was like, this is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry that it has murder in the title. <laughs> I know. Okay. Um, after Medgar's graduation from Alcorn, he was hired by Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard or TRM Howard, uh, as a salesman for Magnolia Mutual Life Insurance. Okay. Several really pivotal things happened in this first decision that altered Medgar's life. First of all, Magnolia Mutual was owned by TRM Howard, meaning that Medgar's first real job out of college was to work for a black business owner in Mississippi. Wow. And that's not something you heard very often, particularly in that time period. no but it showed medgar and others what the possibilities really were and then second trm howard was a civil rights activist also in his own right and was a, men a mentor not only to medgar but to other known civil rights activists like fannie lou hamer and jesse jackson oh okay 
So this job was a really big deal for Medgar. And at this time, Medgar was also the president of the Regional Council for Negro Leadership, or the RCNL. And under Medgar's leadership, they began organizing. The first major thing that Medgar helped lead was a boycott of gas stations in Mississippi because Black people were allowed to purchase gas but not use the restrooms. Jesus Christ. And to me, like, that's the dumbest shit because it's a bathroom. I, I know. I hate all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but that leads me to our next part of the story, which is about Medgar's work with the NAACP. Okay. So I know I mentioned this earlier in the script, but a really big and relatively early decision that altered the course of civil rights, meaning it gave activists hope that change might actually come, was the Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court decision in 1954. Mm -hmm. Immediately after this decision came down, Medgar was like, this is my chance to go to law school in Mississippi. Yeah. That's what he wanted to do. Holy shit. So he applied to the University of Mississippi Law School as part of a test case for the NAACP, which, if you don't know, is, stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And the name has been that way since like the 40s. So, okay. like, I know that's an outdated term, but that's what the name yep. is. Uh, and actually, I am even wrong in my next sentence. The organization was founded in 1909. So it's even older than that. Oh, um, and it's wow. still act- And it's still active today. Yeah. Uh, Medgar's application to Ole Miss was obviously rejected due to his race, although they claimed it wasn't due to his race. They claimed that it was because he didn't have two letters of recommendation from people in the county he lives in. Which, what? Like, blink, blink. What? Also, if you're going to lie, get a better one. My right. God. Yeah, exactly. But this did get the ball rolling that like, mm, that's a covertly racist absolutely to be doing absolutely um so once they weren't allowed to reject based on race they were making up these dog whistle like Mm. reasoning Mm -hmm. uh the university of mississippi did eventually integrate when they admitted james meredith in 1962 he was the first black person to attend old miss and medgar was in the background of all of that supporting meredith and helping with anything that he needed at the time particularly considering meredith's life was threatened a whole bunch of times and there were whole riots with this decision and him being admitted um over 30,000 U.S. troops at one point were deployed to Ole Miss to handle the white people violence because they didn't want him to enter their little campus. Like, just fucking stupid. Wow. White people really know how to throw a tantrum. Right. And then just to kind of bring this into the present, there is a statue of James Meredith on the Ole Miss campus now. And I have seen it. It's really cool how uh, it's all set up. But within the last, I would say, 15 years, I don't remember what year it was, Mm -hmm. um, some like racist white people in Mississippi put a noose around the statue. And that was prosecuted by the federal government as a hate crime. So, yeah, Lauren is just sitting there with her mouth just wide open. I, I'm so, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I hope they go to jail forever. It wasn't forever. They did go to jail, but it wasn't forever. <sighs> yeah. So just people still suck in general. That's not new to us. We've been telling stories for a year now about mm-hmm. how much people suck. Yep. Um, but anyway, 
Uh, at the end of 1954, Medgar was named the NAACP's first field secretary in the state of Mississippi. Okay. In this position, he helped organize several crucial civil rights actions, including the Biloxi Wade-ins, which were protests against the segregation of beaches what the on fuck? the Gulf Coast. Like, they wouldn't let black people sit at the beach. It's just... Oh, my God. It's dirt. <laughs> it's literally dirt dirt that you're sitting on oh, i can't okay <laughs> so anyway um he also led protests to integrate jackson's private bus system and public parks he led voter registration drives and he led some boycotts that led to the integration of local county public schools and the mississippi state fair oh so medgar was active yeah um, he was also very active in the public investigations into the lynching of Emmett Till, which, again, I will hopefully cover later, but horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. Ugh. So, needless to say, all of this public work within the civil rights movement, and importantly, it was successful work in the movement, too, led Medgar to be a target of racist white people including local white citizens councils and the KKK. Before I move into some of this, have you ever heard of the white citizens council? Cause I had not. No, I was researching this. Sounds racist. It is. Mm. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so the best way I could describe the white citizens councils is it's a school board against integration specifically. Cool. Yeah. They were formed as a network of segregationist white supremacist organizations specifically to fight against school integration after Brown v. Board of Education. They were active cool. throughout the South until the 1970s when members started to realize that integration was going to happen whether they liked it or not, and that the federal government was taking the new civil rights laws seriously. Mm. So basically, they're like, our friends are starting to get in trouble. Hmm. I guess we should just stop talking about it out loud. <laughs> Ugh. Okay. <laughs> so several white citizens council members formed a new group in 1985 called the Council of Conservative Citizens, which is still active today, naturally. Mm -hmm. The Southern Poverty Law Center classifies the C of CC, as they shorten it, to be a part of the neo-Confederate movement, if that tells you anything. Okay. And again, I hate all of this. Yeah. I hate all of this. So again, the laughter is nervous and it's, uncomfortable. It's nervous. It yes, has nothing to do with what we're not talking funny. about. Yeah, no, none of this is funny. So back to Medgar and how he became a target of racist violence. Um, he was basically a squeaky wheel in Mississippi against, or that the segregationists wanted to shut up. They just wanted him to like go away. He just kept making, like, successfully making change that they didn't want. Mm. So on May 28, 1963, a Molotov cocktail was thrown into the carport of his home. Thankfully, Merle is awesome and was home and put it out with their garden hose. All right. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. And I get up laughing because I'm just like, she, this whole family is just the best. Yeah. Um, on June 7th, 1963, so like a week later, Medgar was nearly run down by a car as he exited oh the NAACP office in Jackson. Oh, my God. So a movie that I watched prior to doing this episode, it, like fictionalized version of some of this stuff, is mm -hmm. called Ghosts of Mississippi. And I will talk a little bit more about that later and actually recommend that it's very good. Okay. Um, I don't know if this line is true, but 
Whoopi Goldberg in the movie played Merle Evers. Oh, okay. Which was excellent. Yeah. Um, and she quoted Medgar in the movie as saying that he was telling her, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or hell, but I'm going from Jackson. So wow. Like, I don't care how often they keep threatening me. I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'm not leaving. This oh. is where I'm needed. So Medgar knew his life was in danger every day, and he felt like the work he was doing was important enough to take the risk, even with his family. So due to these threats to Medgar's life, he taught his children what to do if they heard a gunshot, for example, or a bomb threat, like he was teaching them how to keep themselves safe. Uh, And he had to teach his kids that. It just also sucks. Yeah, Um, yeah. Another thing to note, the local police and the FBI field office in Jackson were aware of the threats on Medgar's life, and officers followed him home from the NAACP offices every night. Wow. Generally, it was two cars from the FBI and a local police car that went home with him at night. This becomes important in a little bit. Okay. So we're finally to the meat of our story. But before we get into the main crime here, let's break for an ad. Okay. Okay, I know this isn't talked about as often as it could be, but comfortable underwear is an absolute must, don't you think? I'm so thrilled to share that I'm now an ambassador for Devon and Lang, an excellent company that makes quite possibly the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn. With a sustainable process, Devon and Lang underwear is made out of Modal, which uses 20 times less water to make than cotton and feels good all day long. I love so many things about Devon and Lang, including the colorful designs and the variety of styles, but my absolute favorite thing is their partnership with Loved, which has created a line of underwear for Devon and Lang for any and all gender expressions. Get cozy, feel loved, and help the environment. Shop my Devon and Lang affiliate link in the show notes and on social media, and use Most Wanted Amanda at checkout for 15% off. On June 11th, 1963, President John F. Kennedy gave a nationally televised speech called The Report to the American People on Civil Rights. Mm -hmm. In this speech, he showed outward support for the civil rights movement for the first time after being cautious in the early years of his administration due to voter numbers and trying to appease the South, is my guess. Um, In this speech, President Kennedy presented the fight for civil rights as a moral issue Mm -hmm. and proposed legislation that would eventually become the Civil Rights Act of 1964, although Kennedy would not live to see it. Oh. Oh, right. Yeah, he died later later this year. Yeah, the year that we're talking about. Um, This was a huge deal for civil Mm -hmm. rights workers who finally were seeing public federal support that couldn't be denied by segregationists as a one-off. Mm-hmm. Medgar watched the speech at the NAACP offices in Jackson and worked late into the night afterwards. When he headed home in the early hours of June 12, 1963, it was without his typical police and FBI escort. Why? So it is unclear why, officially. Okay. I want to note here that policing as we know it in the modern era has its roots in slave patrols. Right. So policing has always had undercurrents of white supremacy. 
Mm-hmm. And during this era, when KKK or when the KKK was at its height and segregationists were clashing with activists, it was an open secret that most police and sheriff's departments in southern states had KKK members on the force. I would like to say I'm shocked. I am not. <laughs> uh I will also, as a small spoiler, this is really important for next week's episode as well. Oh, fuck. Okay. Yep. So while not proven in this particular case, we're going with it was heavily implied. The FBI escorts not being there is extra sketch to me. But my guess is it would have pretty easily been like the local cops were just like, ah, you guys can go home. It's late. We'll take care of it. And take care of it, they did not. Correct. Yeah. So, Medgar pulled into his driveway that night and exited his car, carrying a pile of shirts from the NAACP offices that said Jim Crow must go on them. As he was exiting his car, he shut the door, and he was immediately shot in the back by an Eddystone Enfield 1917 rifle. The bullet passed through his heart, And he was obviously knocked to the ground after being hit. However, he was able to stagger to his front door where he was met by his wife, Merle. Oh, my God. After the sound of the gunshot, his children did exactly what Medgar had taught them and had run into the bathroom to hide. Oh, my God. After hearing their mother screaming for him, like for Mm -hmm. for Medgar, the kids ran out to their father and met him at the front door as well. Oh, my gosh. So at this point, neighbors heard the shot. It was a neighbor who called 911, and police actually arrived very quickly. Wow. A neighbor helped Merle get Medgar in a vehicle to get him to the hospital. Somehow, miraculously, Medgar did not immediately die from his wounds. What? I, I I don't know how he survived as long as he did. Okay. They made it to the local hospital in Jackson, which was the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Wow. And he was initially refused entrance because of his race. Get the fuck out of here. Uh, uh, Yep. Murley explained to the hospital staff who he was, and he was eventually taken back and admitted. That shouldn't matter. No. You are – he is actively dying in front of your face. Like you can see – like blood literally everywhere. Uh, Medgar died 50 minutes later. He was the first black man ever admitted to an all white hospital in the state of Mississippi. <sighs> what a way to break down that barrier, huh? Does the hospital, I know that this is a long shot, does the hospital get charged with anything for no. being a piece of shit? No. Wow. Very Mm -hmm. cool. Okay. Let's continue. I have a feeling I'm just going to get madder. You are. You absolutely are. Uh, Medgar was mourned nationally, and his death was considered an assassination by most. Yeah. He was buried in Arlington National Cemetery in Washington, D.C., where he received full military honors. Like He was a World War II vet. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he was in Normandy. Yep. Yep. He helped storm the beaches of Normandy. Like, yeah, over 3000 people attended his funeral and burial and a large march occurred in Jackson that was led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Wow. Police showed up to the nonviolent march in full riot gear 
because I don't remember if it was the mayor or the governor, but one of them said, like, there will be no singing at this funeral. No singing. So obviously they were singing because they were like, they were angry. They were just like sad. So people started singing and the police in their riot gear were hitting them with billy clubs and setting dogs loose on them and stuff. Why? What's what's with the singing? It's noise that white people didn't want to hear. I don't know. (sighs) I, I don't understand most of the stuff that happened then because it just seems so ridiculous to me. Okay. Uh, the march did remain nonviolent, and even with the billy clubs and the dogs, no one was seriously injured. Like the the leaders were able to like uh, somehow keep it in check. I don't know. Uh, okay. So one thing that was interesting about this particular murder is that the shooter left the gun behind. That is interesting. I'm shocked that he didn't uh, try to sell it. Oh wait. That was George Zimmerman. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, we'll get to that in a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what investigators years later think happened was there was a like a rifle scope mm-hmm. on the gun and this person who we'll get into. Um, I don't know if he was unfamiliar with the gun itself or just with the scope on it, but like the kickback from the rifle, like – Hit him in the eye really hard. Did he lose his eye? No. Oh, he, that's like, too bad. Bruised it and stuff. But like it scared him and he dropped the gun and ran, is what they think happened. Is this dick bake still alive? No. Okay. So this happened in the days before there were great like DNA options for trials and whatnot. This was in 1963. This dick bag didn't brag about it? We'll get to that. Okay. But they could test for fingerprints mm. and did, mm-hmm. even if it was fairly rudimentary. Um, and like, if you don't want to get caught, take the gun with you, dum-dum. Uh, see, this is th- – agreed. <laughs> but this is kind of – I'm a little shocked. Usually racist dick bags like this are proud of that. And he, he was. Mm-hmm. So it's just – but he, he doesn't want to like, be in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Like he had to get through a certain little rough spot in his life where he was like, you know, arrested for this. So Byron de la Beckwith was arrested for the murder of Medgar Evers on June 21st, 1963. Okay, so it only took it was like 11 days? Nine. Nine days? Nine okay. Days? Yeah. Which is quicker than I thought. Yep. Okay. But this story isn't done. I, I assumed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Beckwith was a fertilizer salesman by trade, but more importantly, was a known member of the White Citizens Council and of the Ku Klux Klan in Mississippi. He worked with shit. Yeah. That tracks. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I truly don't give a fuck about this guy. He absolutely sucks, as you'll continue to see in this story. So, literally, <laughs> all this is from Wikipedia. If I'm talking about him, it's from Wikipedia. I got it. Care. Um. But the other thing that I feel is relevant is that he was a Marine in oh. World War II. Oh. And he fought in the Pacific Theater, where Medgar was in the European Theater. Um, and he fought in the Battle of Guadalcanal. He was also honorably discharged in 1945. He still sucks. Yeah. So Two things can be true at the same time. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
My next section is called the trials, plural, of Byron oh, Bailey Beckwith. So Beckwith was tried for Medgar Evers' murder three times. And I'm going to tell you about each of them. Okay. Uh, I will also say I saw in one other article that was covering the murder, uh, he was apparently Byron De La Beckwith the sixth. Oh, good God. And his nickname was Delay, which he's just going to be Beckwith. That's fine. <laughs> like Delay as in like delay? Like Yeah, but Delay. <laughs> no, it's Delay. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> I'm assuming it's like Dela, but like. Yeah, I get it. It's stupid. Delay Beckwith. (laughs) Again, laughing because this is all just so stupid. It's shitty. Okay. All right. Let's go with trial number one. Yep. So Beckwith was first brought to trial by then District Attorney Bill Waller in front of Judge Leon F. Hendrick in February 1964. Both white? Oh, yeah. I want to note that uh, Bill Waller, the District Attorney, was eventually the governor of Mississippi. Uh, Mississippi juries, as in most states, are comprised of members of registered voters in the state, and Mississippi has, present tense, a long history of disenfranchisement of its Black residents, along with a fraught history of Black voter suppression as well. What I'm getting at here is that Beckwith's first jury was comprised of all white men. I was going to say, so a jury of his peers. Not the victims. Very cool. Yep. Throughout the trial, Beckwith was cocky. He drank soda during the testimony. He propped his feet up on a nearby chair. And he had to be stopped by bailiffs from wandering over to the jury box to chat with his peers. Are you fucking kidding me? He thought that was perfectly fine for him to do. What the fuck? They did stop him. But yeah. I don't fucking care. He was so entitled throughout all of this. That's he's cocky entitled. He's the fucking worst oh fuck Ugh. after 22 hours of deliberation the jury told the judge they could not agree and the judge declared a mistrial okay that is better than i thought i guess yeah i mean so small spoiler it kind of has to be this way in order for him to be tried for the same crime three times he can't once you're, oh, he, you once can't he can't be, be found not guilty. You're right. Yep, 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 yep. So unless there were like appeals, but like that's not yeah how this one goes. So okay. Beckwith's second trial was held immediately afterwards in mm-hmm. April 1964. Okay. So two months later. All right. Same judge. No. Same prosecutor. No. Well. Different all-white, all-male jury. What the fuck? Yep. This time, though, Beckwith had a couple other things working in his favor. His defense got a little extra funding the second time around from the Mississippi State Sovereignty Commission, which was a taxpayer-funded group that was active from 1956 to 1977 and was actively fighting desegregation and the civil rights movement. Okay. This is also important later. Okay. But what that means is that the taxpayers of Mississippi were funding Beckwith's racist defense. Yep. The other thing that Beckwith had working in his favor was that during the second trial, the governor of Mississippi stopped by to shake Beckwith's hand in front of the jury. What the fuck? Yeah. You're going in, to jail. Yeah. In the in the Ghosts of Mississippi movie, 
they showed it as he came in during testimony when Merle was on the stand and was shaking his hand while she was testifying. Um, no. I don't know if that's what happened in real life, but like that might be dramatized, but like that's how they showed it. Yeah. It was just, it was like immediate anger. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, but like hard for 12 white guys to convict a guy that's getting his hand shaken by the government. Do it anyways. Not the government, but yeah. Do it anyways. Yeah. So this time, the jury only deliberated for 10 hours before telling the judge that they could not uh, agree, and another mistrial was declared. This time, though, the judge set bail for Beckwith, which he paid and went on his way. Did he pay it or was it also funded? Well, it was probably paid for him, but he was let out on, on bond. DA Bill Waller decided not to attempt a third trial. Okay. Well, all right. Wait, why? Probably. So the quote that I read in like an archived newspaper article was that he felt the defense did better the second time than they did the first time. And he was afraid of a a straight acquittal. I gotcha. Yeah. So he's like, okay, we got a second mistrial. Yeah. I might as well just leave it as it is. No, I don't like that at all. No, that's really stupid. That's terrible. Uh, you might be wondering, okay, so Beckwith's fingerprints were on the gun. He was a known racist. How could the jury not convict him? Like he was seen in the area that night. And he'd been asking where Medgar, ever li- Medgar Evers lived, like in the weeks leading up to his murder. How? How did they know that the people on the jury weren't also, you know, with him they didn't right okay yeah well that's how right yeah so Beckwith's defense in both trials and his third trial eventually as well mm-hmm. uh was that his gun had been stolen prior to the murder so it couldn't have been him say it ain't so yeah sure jan that sounds reasonable oh my god <laughs> anyway I'm but i mean go- if you think about it every time someone gets like essentially murdered 99% of the time, the person who owns the gun, it was stolen. So I do get it. I mean, that is fair, but mm-hmm. not like you You were totally right earlier in the story when you said like when people in the KKK and whatnot were killing black people, they were usually proud of it and mm-hmm. would like brag about it. So his gun wasn't stolen. Like, obviously. Yeah, that was. You just were like, asking where he lived, really? Yeah, it, it was like, and again, in the in the movie, the dramatized movie, he was basically like winking on the stand. Ew. Like, he was, the, the actor did a great job. It was horrifying to watch, but the I, actor did I a great job. I bet it was. Um, so, anyway, now we're going to go on a little side quest. Okay. I about, like side quests. About what Beckwith did between his second and eventual third trials, because it's damning at best. Okay. So after he was after the, the mistrial the second time, Beckwith was a guest speaker at a bunch of KKK rallies, where he allegedly was loud and proud about killing Evers and getting away with it. Supposedly, he never named Evers in these speeches. But everyone knew who he was talking about, obviously. Yeah. And this by itself is disgusting, but there's more. So Beckwith also became heavily involved in the Christian identity movement, 
which we mentioned in one of our Eric Rudolph episodes. Mm -hmm. The Christian identity movement is considered a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, and they don't discriminate. They hate people of color, Jews, Muslims, foreigners, pretty much everybody. So all under the guise of Christian values, of course. I wish you guys could see our faces because we're both just looking at each other like, what the fuck? (laughs) Literally, I'm... Okay. Okay. So Beckwith was eventually ordained Ah! into the Christian Identity Church. Huh. If you can call it a church. No. Yeah. Cult. Cult. Movement. Hate group. Yes. Um, So I don't even... This is just... I don't even know how to start. Beckwith literally tried to murder another prominent civil rights activist. What the fuck? This one was not black. He was Jewish, but still. What the fuck? I know. A.I. Botnick was the director of B'nai B'rith, the, uh, sorry, B'nai B'rith Anti-Defamation League, based in New Orleans, and he worked toward nonviolent race relations during the civil rights movement. So they were like allies with what was going on in the South. Apparently, he said some things that upset Beckwith. Hard to know what that could have possibly been. Oh, my God. He just um, breathed. I know, right? But like civil rights and Beckwith's like, ah! the And so Beckwith literally drove to Louisiana to try to murder him. Crossing uh, state lines, that's a felony. I have no idea. By itself, it's not a felony, but crossing <laughs> state lines to like in the Commit commission a of a felony. Yes, that would be an extra felony. Or f- make it federal, possibly. That's too. That could have been what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, this was, I didn't write the year down. I think it was like in 1969 or so, so okay. later. Yeah. Um, and at this point, there were civil rights laws and like hate crime laws that were in place. Uh, and an informant alerted the FBI in time to stop Beckwith. And he was stopped by police Uh near the border of Louisiana with several loaded firearms, a dynamite bomb on a timer and a map with basically Botnik's home, like circled on it. Sir. Just not bright for one. Sir. (laughs) (sighs) Yep. So Beckwith was tried and convicted Mm -hmm. of conspiracy to commit murder, sentenced to five years in prison in Louisiana. What? And he was released after three. Hmm. Lauren's about to explode. <laughs> I, I'm going to lose my fucking shit. I yeah. hate everything. This guy sucks so bad. Well, and everyone's just letting him. It's they're, like they're he, they're letting. He lives among enablers. <laughs> like, <sighs> yeah. Um. So this is the guy that the white people of Mississippi wouldn't convict. Mm. Just fucking disgusting. So, we're going to flash forward to the late 1980s when the Jackson Clarion Ledger newspaper published the information about the state agency illegally assisting with Beckwith's defense in the second trial. Okay. Merle Evers had never given up getting justice for her husband. Good for her. And she began pushing harder for prosecutors in Hines County, Mississippi, to go after Beckwith again. Yes. A new investigation was initiated in the DA's office, and a former FBI informant came forward with the information about Beckwith speaking at the KKK rallies. Okay. 
taking that with the original evidence, including the gun with Beckwith's fingerprints on it, and a third prosecution was launched. Wait, the FBI knew that he was speaking at the KKK rallies like they were also there or like this was an investigation? So an FBI informant is someone that is not a member oh, that's of true. the FBI that's true. and like is sharing information with the Bureau. That's right. Okay, sorry. Yep. So this was a non-law enforcement guy who was sharing info. And this guy, um, I didn't write his name down because I don't care what his name is but he Shirley Temple sure he was a known white supremacist who also helped the FBI during the Mississippi burning case that we're going to talk about next week okay so what they said in the movie which is probably from like FBI files and whatnot is that um they didn't want to use him for the Beckwith trial because they thought the Mississippi burning trial was more important oh so they 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 sparsely used him to save him and keep him safe basically so at this point in the 1980s and early 1990s, Beckwith was living in the suburb of Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is taking forever. Uh-huh. Oh my god, okay. Uh-huh. So once he was reindicted and rearrested, mm-hmm. he had to be extradited to Mississippi. So all okay. of this took time. And then once he was returned to Mississippi, he fought the charges tooth and nail. Sir, you literally bragged about it. Just shut the fuck up. Yeah. He claimed it violated his right to a speedy trial and his right to double jeopardy. So a note on both of these claims. Okay. Beckwith had two speedy trials already. <laughs> yeah, literally within, let's see, he died in June. Weren't they both over by the following June? Yeah. He was released yeah. by April. Like, my guy. Uh, uh, there's no limit to the number. Can you get right? There's no limit to the number of trial times you can be tried for a crime in Mississippi if mistrials are declared. Okay. So, like, no laws were violated by them rearresting him in okay, the good. early nineties. Um, and it's not double jeopardy if a mistrial is declared by Rin. I knew that. Also, Ashley Judd. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, fucking Byron. Byron. Um, so anyway, the Mississippi Supreme Court agreed, and a third trial was set for Beckwith in All January right. 1994. Okay, but we're going to see some justice, am I right? We are. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. So at this point, Beckwith was 71 years old. Oh, good God. Okay. And not in great health, but his racism was still strong, don't worry. I wasn't doubting that for a second. <laughs> so the Did prof- you say 94? 1994. And he died 1963. So 30 years. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So the prosecution told essentially the same story that it had told in the first two trials with some additional witnesses who had been afraid to come forward 30 years earlier. Okay. There were two major differences in this third trial from the first two, though. The first was that Beckwith's beliefs, his racism, had fallen way out of fashion with the majority of the population yeah. Uh, at least publicly in the 1990s. Like, yeah. he was now in the minority, not the majority. <sighs> yep. And this, yeah, this blatant loud racism just wasn't accepted in the same way it had been in 1964. And his cockiness was not seen as confidence. It was seen as, like, delusion. <laughs> yeah, you are Basically. arrogant and you are stupid. And yes. Yeah. You're dumb. Yeah. And second... The jury in his third trial 
was much more diverse. Okay, so maybe a jury of Medgar's peers. Much more, much, cool. much more close, yeah. Okay. So it was composed of eight black people and oh. four white people. Okay. With a mixture of men and women. Hey! Yep, yep. So unlike in his first two trials, Beckwith did not testify. So in the first two trials, he got on the stand and told this bullshit story about his gun being stolen. And he did not testify in the third trial. And this was probably a genius oh, did move. did he get scared? Oh, no, it was probably his lawyer being like, don't you fucking dare. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Because they're like, this is going to sound so bad. You sit your ass down. You shut you up. <laughs> on February 5th, 1994, Beckwith was convicted of the murder of Medgar Evers and sentenced to life in prison. Yes. He appealed the verdict, obviously. Mm. But the Supreme Court of Mississippi upheld his conviction in 1997. Okay. He attempted to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, but they were like, nah. No. We don't want to touch this. No. (laughs) So Beckwith died at the University of Mississippi Medical Center while he was in prison in 2001. He was 80 years old. It's too bad he wasn't shanked. Yeah, no, he was not. And I, I would assume that prison in Mississippi is probably just because of the long-standing racism and the way that stuff works. Probably a lot of black people in prison. Probably. Like, yeah, it probably is kind of a miracle he wasn't killed in prison. But yeah. No, he, he just died because he was really unhealthy. Well, yeah. okay. Yeah. So now, to try to make it a little nicer at the end of the story, I okay. want to tell you about Medgar Evers' legacy. Please. Um. I honestly can't even begin to tell you the impact that Evers' work, even though it was much shorter lived than he and everyone hoped it would be, had on the civil rights movement. Medgar was posthumously awarded the Spingarn Medal, Spingarn, I think is how you say it, mm-hmm. um, by the NAACP in 1963. Mm-hmm. He has been honored in books, in songs, in art. He has statues and monuments and roads and libraries and all kinds of things named in his honor. Mm -hmm. His grave at Arlington National Cemetery has been honored on basically every big anniversary of his murder. And his and Murley's house, where he was murdered, has been named a national landmark and is on the Mississippi Freedom Trail. Oh, It's really a shame that many people don't know who he was and the great work he did, particularly when it came to certain boycotts and the investigation into the death of Emmett Till. Without Medgar, Emmett Till's murder might not have made the news like it did. Yeah. I don't know how much you know about that. Like I said, I hope to cover it later. But one of the big things with Emmett Till was that his mother had an open casket funeral. Is he the one that was dragged behind a car or was he lynched? He was lynched. Uh, he was weighed down and like put in like a swamp. Yeah. So like his face is all disfigured. Yeah. He clearly was beaten. He was like 12. Yeah. So without Medgar was the one who spoke with Emmett Till's mother and said, like, I think the world needs to see what happened to your son. Yeah. Yeah. And it was people seeing like because Emmett Till was from Chicago. He was visiting family in Mississippi when this happened. Right. Yeah. So it was people in the north seeing what happened to him mm-hmm. that really got the movement going. Yeah. So just Hard to say how important Medgar's work really was. He was, I can't imagine what, how he would be remembered differently if he had not been killed 
when he did. Yeah. Uh, his life mattered. And while Murley and his family finally did get justice for Medgar, it really made me think of the famous Martin Luther King Jr. quote that where he said, justice too long delayed is justice denied. Yeah. And I'm happy this story had the ending it did, but Beckwith was still allowed to be free for 30 years. Yeah. And he continued to spout his toxic, racist rhetoric, rhetoric blah, 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 um, throughout that entire time. Like, he was part of several known hate groups, and it just sucks. It just sucks. Wow. Yeah. So, like, Medgar Evers. Yeah. I just wish more people knew who he was. Yeah, it it really bums me out that this is literally the only – what you've just said is the only thing I know about him. Their house being a national landmark now. I love – yeah, I've seen some pictures from mm-hmm. the inside, like when they dedicated. I think they just dedicated it last year because it was the 60th anniversary of his death last year. Yep. Um, there are still bullet holes in the walls. Hole. Like from the bullet that went through his his body went into the house afterwards, and there's bullet holes in the wall still. Holy shit! I'm glad the ending was satisfying, but yeah, still just shitty. All around. Took way too fucking long. Yeah. So, kind of easing into this, final thoughts with Lauren? Well, um, oh, I'm infuriated, but I, I'm happy we did this. Yeah. Uh, Byron can suck an egg, and I <laughs> yeah. hope he had a very painful death. I'm assuming just dying of old age, but I don't care. I think he had heart disease, so it probably wasn't like overly pleasant, but I think that Medgar was How old was he when he died? I'm sorry. He was thirty seven. Holy shit. Okay. Uh yeah, his name his name and his story should be told more and it's very important. Everything he did in thirty seven years is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like I he mean, packed a lot of life into those years. Yeah. And his like his children were old enough to remember him and they've yeah. kind of tried to live his legacy too. And mm-hmm. his wife Merley, I didn't write this down, but she was eventually like appointed the president of the NAACP. Oh no way. Yeah. Wow, so good she, for her. Like also civil rights activist in her own right. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any great thoughts. I'm irritated as all hell, but <laughs> I can imagine. It uh it is it that will just continue to happen. Yeah. That is the story of the assassination of civil rights leader Medgar Evers. May he rest in peace. Yeah. Agreed. I think Merle's still alive. She oh. was she was interviewed when the house was dedicated as a yeah. national landmark last year and she was ninety. Ooh, well, hi, Merle. <laughs> I've never hi, wanted to go to Mississippi ever in my life. Nothing against Mississippi, but if, you know. Uh, <laughs> but I would like to uh, come see the house. I would also I think, eventually like to see the house. I think stuff like that, although tragic, that, you know, they have to end up on these lists. Yeah. I do like that it's a historic landmark. I do, too. And I like that they preserved, like, there's old police photographs next to like the bullet holes and stuff like they're preserving what happened in that home which i think is just good to do it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that like people don't want to remember but you have to you have to yeah like you have to be able to reckon with 
terrible history of the country sometimes. Right. Hmm. Okay. Sources. It's a long list this week. Yeah. The When you started the episode, I was like, man, <laughs> it's a long list this week. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that was named after Medgar Evers was a college within the City University of New York. So part oh. of this, there was a history page on the Medgar Evers College website called History, the Murder of Medgar Evers. So that's my first source. Mm-hmm. Um, FB, the FBI has like a history section on their website where they talk about famous cases. So they have a case or a page on Medgar Evers. And you can actually, if you click on it, you can look into their old files and like read their investigation into the Medgar Evers murder. So I didn't go into that because I figure it's just really poorly photocopied stuff. But it's probably fascinating to see like if there was a difference between like FBI versus local police. And if there were like, I I would Mm -hmm. one day, maybe I'll look at that. But yeah. Um, on the Zinn Education Project website, uh, it was called This Day in History, June 12, 1963, Medgar Evers Murdered in Mississippi. On Mississippi History Now, uh, an article called Medgar Evers and the Origin of the Civil Rights Movement in Mississippi by Dernorrell Davis. On the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee website, or the SNCC website, uh, June 12, 1963, Medgar Evers Murdered. The NAACP has a profile of him just called Medgar Evers. On History.com, an article called This Day in History, June 12, 1963, Civil Rights Leader Medgar Evers is Assassinated. And then I also read a bit on History.com about the Montgomery bus boycott. On AP News, an article called 60 Years After Medgar Evers' Murder, His Widow Continues a Civil Rights Legacy by Emily Wagster Pettis. In the Washington Post, an article called Medgar Evers Battled for Civil Rights, His Home Shows What It Cost Him by Denine L. Brown. That was, I think, from last year when they were talking about Mm -hmm. the house. On the Stanford Martin Luther King Jr. Research and Education Institute, uh, it was called Evers, Medgar Wiley, which, okay, why? (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, okay. In the New York Times, uh, got some historical stuff. Um, this article was from 1964. It's called Beckwith's Second Trial Ends in Hung Jury by John Herbers. And a second article from the New York Times in 1964. I think this was about the first trial. It says, Beckwith case, a mistrial. Jury was seven to five for acquittal by John <laughs> Herbers. Can you imagine? Anyway, in time, it was this weird archive with no byline that said trials, colon, hung jury. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> but it was it was talking specifically about Beckwith's trial, but like that wasn't in the title. I don't know. Okay. Um and then on Truth Dig, an article called A Black Voter Suppression Slap in the Face by Michael Datcher. Mm-hmm. And that was about like history of civil rights and voter suppression in Mississippi. Yeah. Um again I watched the documentary Stamp from the Beginning. We also watched the dramatized dramatized movie Ghosts of Mississippi, mm-hmm. which stars Alec Baldwin as the prosecutor in the 90s and Whoopi oh. Goldberg as Merle Evers and other big stars in there too, but they're mm-hmm. the two that people generally uh, know. Uh, I listened to two episodes of the Black History for White People podcast called Medgar Evers Part 1 and Medgar Evers Part 2. Mm. I listened to an episode of the Crime Binge podcast called Episode 57, Medgar Evers. Mm. And an episode of the Deadly Faith podcast called Episode 23, The Assassination of Civil Rights Leader Medgar Evers with guest Kyle Butler. Mm. And then Wikipedia for all the stuff about 
back with. Fucking Byron. I know, right? Of course his name is Byron. Because, you know, I'm watching Pretty Little Liars, right? And Arya's dad's name is Byron. It and is? The, yes. And the, okay. the, the, well, he was sh- shitty, too. Yes. I was going to say the show opens with like them coming back from Iceland because he ran away after Arya caught him cheating on her mom with a student. Which is exactly what Arya did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> nothing against any Byrons that are listening, but yeah. I, the two Byrons I, I know in my life right now are both shitty. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I get that. Totally. <laughs> totally. And also the city of Byron. I think it smells. <laughs> That's all I got. Just kidding. I really like the city of Byron. Go cougars. I, <laughs> I don't remember. Sorry. Anyways, um, well, I'm horribly sad. And I'm sorry that we... I'm happy I could make you laugh. But... Yeah, I'm, I'm happy you can make me laugh too, because... I didn't Oof. think there'd be much laughter in this episode that wasn't. And there's not. Like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> uh, everything's terrible and I hate it. I guess we will talk to you guys next week. Prepare to be sad again. Yep. Okay, <laughs> bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. You can find us on Instagram at a most wanted podcast where we post some true crime trivia every Sunday. You can follow us on X or formerly known as Twitter at a most wanted pod. Find us and like us on Facebook at a most wanted podcast. You can send us an email at a most wanted podcast at gmail.com and please remember to visit our website at a most wanted podcast and remember please listen subscribe and love bye